Hi and welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. Um, this week's episode is with Juliet Burton and we spoke about independence, shame uh, and her experience of audiences being more or less gendered and what she thinks that says about um, the work that she's doing. So I wanted to say I'm recording this intro on my birthday, which is the 7th of January, and I've been getting so many lovely birthday messages. Thank you, everybody who's been tweeting me or emailing me, alicerfraser at gmail.com or Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, or Facebook, or just saying nice things after shows. I had a gig last night, and I have a gig tonight as well, um, and it's just been really lovely is what I want to say. Thank you very much for all of the birthday wishes. I have passed on many of them to my brother as well. Uh, and it's nice. I mean, you know, as far as arbitrary celebrations of the slow progress of time go, birthdays are a nice one because people get to say that they like you, in you know, or what why they're happy that you're around. Um, and that makes me happy. Makes me happy to make other people happy. Um, so I will stop blithering and rambling. I'm, I'm, I'm awash with warm feelings of gratitude and, and, and love. And uh, I don't think that's going to lend itself to particularly logical or concise thinking. I really enjoyed this conversation that I had with Juliet Burton. And I hope you also enjoy listening to it. Um, thank you. I've, I've done a thing on my Patreon for Patreon subscribers at the $15 and $25 levels who want to do Skype conversations but haven't emailed me. Um, I've put up this special calendar thing, Calendly or something, so that we can um, schedule it in and it'll make allowances for the time differences and everything. It takes some of the complexity out of it. So that will be a lot easier going forward, I hope. Um, all of that said... Enough of me. I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. So, who are you and what are you drinking? Hello, uh, my name is Juliet Burton and I am drinking a small glass of the house white wine um, at the lovely bar that we're sitting in Otherwise right now. Otherwise known as grape tea. Um, <laughs> grape tea. Grape tea. I'm having... A green tea, a bag tea, uh, from a brand called Tea Pigs, which I have issues with because I don't like the name, but they do good tea. Yes, I like I like Tea Pigs. I also like the bags that they come in, in with Tea Pigs because the bags are very good quality. Yeah, they're sort of these nice uh, cloth-type bags, and they're in a pyramid, which is always a good thing, like a three-dimensional pyramid. It looks so like you've got a little mini garden yes. in the tea bag, which Let's I like. Let the tea float around. It percolates well, so I'm going to um, give up my dislike of the name and just go with the product. We shouldn't be... We shouldn't yes. be prejudiced about people's names. <laughs> uh, uh, so, what have you been wrestling with recently? Quite a few things, um, because we, it's the start of a new year, and so we've had a kind of quiet period where I've been in my head a lot. Um, yeah, for me, the period between Christmas and my birthday, which is the 7th of January, is always the time where I write lists and I reflect on things and I'll let myself be morose or self-indulgent in thinking about decisions I've made that are good decisions or terrible mistakes that I've made, which normally you can't bring yourself to reflect on because they might crumble down the whole edifice of your being. Yes. This is the period that I let that happen. I, do you find it difficult 
having a birthday or good having a birthday at the beginning of a year because my birthday falls um, at the beginning of the school year. Uh-huh. So, and it's also the Edinburgh year, like the Edinburgh Fringe cycle. You know, there's the August is the end of, is the culmination, and then the September is the beginning, like kind of the respite. It's a bit like the between Christmas and New Year is is the beginning of September. For end the of, performer. For the performer cycle, yeah. for the performer year. And for the school year, and my birthday's in September, so I always have that moment of, okay, and breathe. What have I done? What am I about to do? What what do I want to achieve? Um, do you find the same? It's, it's, I quite like that it's, it's also a changing of a season for me as well. Um, mm. do, you, do you like having a birthday around this time? The upside of having a birthday at the beginning of the year, I think, is that you get all of those moments out of the way at about the same time. Mm. That reflection of something's ending, something's beginning, I'm moving forward. These things are arbitrary, but also important. It's important to make these, I think people work in cycles, people work in seasons. So it's nice to have points to pin those seasons to, you know, that that you can take the time to really, I don't want to sound like a complete wanker, but like honor what's been going on, to, to acknowledge what's been going on, to take a break, to take a pause, to think about who you are, the fact that you're getting older, are you going where you want to go, are you doing what you want to do, are you being who you want to be, that's good about it. The downside of it is I also have a twin brother and it's very close to Christmas so we would always get uh, shared presents that were for birthday and Christmas combined, which always felt like an inequity but uh, that's that's a different problem. Uh, well, anytime you want to celebrate your birthday, apart from today, I'm always up for a celebration of any kind. Um, well, yeah, I, d- I do like a little party. The um, the the thing uh, that you just mentioned about um, figuring out who you are, like the, that that's 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 been something I've been wrestling with recently because um, it's it's kind of tying in with what's happening in my life and also with my my next show that I'm writing. And one of the aspects of um, who I am, because I've feel like I'm full of contradictions Mm. Um, and one aspect that I've been thinking about and wrestling with is strength versus weakness Mm -hmm. Um, so I I talk in my in my comedy a lot about my mental health journey and um, my because it informs my perspective on the world and everything everything I say kind of comes from that experience Um, but I've recently joined a mental health speakers collective that has some amazing um, amazing speakers in it like Natasha Devon um, Johnny Benjamin um, loads of others um, but they're kind of the the figureheads and uh, one idea that was that was posed at our um, the first meeting of all of these speakers was um, that and this is this is clunky language because it's it's a binary discussion which it doesn't is not all inclusive unfortunately I mean I I feel like that's a worthwhile thing to say but Look, given the numbers that exist, statistically we're talking about most people and yes. there are exceptions. Those exceptions are not less than, but in this instance we're talking about broad general strokes. So, yes. so with that in mind... Go ahead. Uh, thank you very much for your permission. <laughs> uh, uh, so people who identify as male and people who identify as female, um, the number one shame trigger in recent re- research has found that the number one shame trigger for those who identify as female is being called ugly, fat, basically unfuckable. I'm, I'm not going to sleep with you was the worst thing that you could say to a woman um, to shut her up and shame her. Yeah. Um, I'll take a side note before you go on with yes. this definition is that that's been done uh, a couple of times and most notably I was heckled by a guy 
uh, with a rape joke, basically saying that he would, uh, you know, it was a joke, obviously, it wasn't a threat. He was in the audience, I was on the stage. But he was saying that he would and I'd enjoy it. And I kind of had a go at him from the stage, as is, you know, there's a, there's a balance of power there. He's very unlikely to win once you're past a certain point of stand-up competence. Took him down a few notches. And then he quite sulkily, from the front row, well, went, well, no, I don't want to. And just the idea that he thought that the, that, that was a worse insult yes. was very funny to me. And also there was a part of me that recognised it as a worse insult. Yeah, and I found that yeah, that was ex- that was very funny. For me, it was I. Uh, we, I'm sure that you probably had trolls uh, online. Um, not not that I'm sure that you deserve trolls, <laughs> but that I'm, I'm. Lots of people who who are vocal on Twitter have trolls, and when I have been trolled, it's so bizarre to me now. The the num- the first thing they go to is always you're fat, you're ugly. It's always just your. It's those two most common things. And it doesn't matter what size you are. It doesn't matter what physical size you are. It's just the word. And when I was when I was a, a child, uh, when I was ten, I was very overweight. So fat was a word that I heard every day from the bullies at school. Um, and it's ingrained in me as meaning something other than what it means to other people. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's an. Ind- it, I. I want to. Uh, my friend Jamali Maddox, who does, he did a Vice documentary talking to. Uh, hate groups of various kinds and he was he had a chat I don't know if this made it to the series but I was talking about him about it with him he had a chat with a guy who believed that Jews were controlling everything and he was sort of talking about the Jews and you know who they were these these Ishmaels or something he had a word for them but when he said Jewish he meant people like Hillary Clinton who is not Jewish right he meant something other than Jewish. He meant evil or wrong or in power or corrupt or manipulative. His problem was not with Jewish people. But he was using this word right. as a term to describe something bad. Maybe because there's this history, weight of history of using the, the term Jew to mean those things or to associate Jewishness with those things. Yeah. But I found that fascinating. And I think that's an interesting thing when it comes to fat and ugly. Because while, it, while you might not be in any way objectively fat or ugly, they're using those terms to mean, and you know what they mean when they say those words, is that they are disgusted by you or they don't like you or they think that you are you know, in some way corrupted or... It's another way of saying shut up. Yeah. And it's... It's another way of saying what you have to say is not worthwhile. Exactly. Which is fascinating because you've gone very quickly there from insulting a physical appearance, at least that's what those those words originally meant. Fat and ugly is about about a physical form and yet it's what you have to say I, I'm, is not worth hearing you are unworthy yeah or like when uh, Trump met the Queen of England and he said to Piers Morgan she's a beautiful lady Oh, she's a lady and she's in her 90s she's not by definition she's not beautiful so I became a godparent this year to in a, any kind of you yeah, know, objective sense well, she's she's be- I mean she's a beautiful old lady but that's not in, what he meant beauty in, in, a, in a different sense like I, I, I have redefined beauty for me to mean great, graceful and and how kind you are to people, how you how 
how much grace you show to other people. Mm. For me, that's beautiful. So in that sense, probably she is. But but I also this is this is we've gone way off to top original yep. topic. But um, this is another thing that I've I'm trying to count down. I've become a godparent um, a few months ago and for the first time ever even though I've got loads of nephews but this is my first ever godparenting duty and it's to a lovely little baby girl um, who I love so much um, but I have made a rule to myself to not call her pretty or beautiful mm. or gorgeous every time I talk to her instead of saying oh aren't you beautiful aren't you pretty because everybody else I hear other people saying that to her and I've heard I've, I'll, and I'll, I'll save that for a second <laughs> I, I, I've been made it a rule to call to tell her that she's powerful that she's intelligent that she's um, she's inspiring that she's got all the potential in the world to use those words to her from this age pre, pre-language like she's not talking yet yeah um, and the reason why I started doing that was not just because of all the feminist stuff that I've, I, I take on board but also going on dates recently I found it really hollow when guys call me beautiful mm. in, a, in a similar way to the being, the insult of being called fat or ugly if a guy compliments me on my looks it's almost a turn off for me now at first like this is on the first once I get to have a few dates with them and then there's like oh okay maybe I actually want them to start objectifying me a little bit yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a different sense um, but if they're going in with you're beautiful that's not really what I want to hear you will win me over this is not giving giving away giving tips. Hits, hints and it's all tips. Right. All my listeners are wonderful, so uh, I am sure they are. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for certain women, certainly for me, um, I find it more uh, rewarding and and more um, uh, enriching to hear that I am powerful and intelligent and humorous and funny is the best compliment anyone could ever give me. Is that you're funny? Yeah. Um, should I try to get back to my original point? Yeah. So we were talking about the shame trigger for women. Yes. Generally speaking, being calling them fat and ugly. Yes. AKA unfuckable. Yeah. Whereas with men, so with people who identify as male, uh, the number one shame trigger was weak, mm. being called weak, and this fascinates me because um, being uh, being weak is also associated, generally speaking, in society with being a woman, like physically weak. Um, we're physically weaker, biologically speaking, but also showing emotion is seen as in you know from the schoolyard we're told it's weak to ask for help or weak to cry or um, man up and all this stuff that we all know and we will we all have for years tried to start challenging. Um, but the thing that started to fascinate me more is that in in my shows I've, I've recently finished a national my first national tour and that consolidated for me what I, I started seeing in festival audiences that I have a lot of single men who come to my shows on their own and at first I was thinking oh it's because they they want to have female energy in their lives they like watching a, a woman on stage this is all cool that's all fine but then I've started talking to them more after the shows in more depth and because I speak about mental health in the shows it gives people permission to talk to me afterwards about their own mental health journey and I, I'm starting to realise that actually I think these men are coming on their own because it's okay for a woman to open up about her, her, her emotions. It's not okay. And this is, this is in inverted commas, it's not okay. It's totally brilliant. It's awesome if you can to open up about your emotions. But it, men aren't uh, generally given permission to. So in order to get in touch with their emotions, they are allowed to come and sit in a dark room for an hour and listen to a female comedian talk about her 
talk about her emotions, talk about her emotions in a comedic way, which is a language that men understand and can engage with. But they're, they're not allowed to, to speak about their emotions. And the thing that is, I'm wrestling with is this is not my story. Yeah. But it's a really important thing to be talking about. And I want to help because it's going to help both men and women. And the best thing, there was a thing, I think you saw it, I shared, I shared on a social media thing about the, about the, the a new way of tackling, of fighting misogyny is to tell men, to give, to let men know it's okay to open up about their emotions. Yeah, so the specific, there's like three things that you've said that make me want to say things. But uh, the first one is, it's very, uh, language is in some ways very imprecise. Yes. But Punky. it is one of the only tools we have for expressing our internal state. Mm-hmm. And it's also very hard to know what your internal state is until you put words to it. You may have these inchoate feelings and they are overwhelming and they will impact the way that you interact with the world. But it's not until you identify them and give put words to them that you can have much control over them, I think, unless you're an extraordinary person. This is at least the case for me, that when uh, the example that I often fall back on because it's quite an extreme example is when I was grieving... My mum, I found that I would respond very angrily to things and I wasn't used to being angry. It wasn't one of my common emotions. But when I noticed it happening and was able to say, this is a manifestation of grief, this is a different channel that my sadness is taking, then I just knew what was happening. I wasn't just treating the people around me callously. I, I was actually, oh, I know why this is happening and then I could have some control over it or write a whole show about it Um, so that's one point and so in that if that is true and that's a big if but it's my understanding of the world then for men who are not encouraged to speak about their emotions somebody else giving them the words or someone else displaying a narrative in which those kind of words and tools are used is super useful it's one of the whole reasons we have art is that you can identify in somebody else's art something that is explanatory to you absolutely and then the other thing about the strength and weakness versus fuckability versus unfuckability is that you said women identify as weak or are told to identify as weak i think there is a flip side there and i've spoken about this before about one of the reasons why there are a a significant number a problematic number of men who are aggressive when they're pursuing sexual relationships, uh, feel like they have to uh, dazzle or bully or convince women to sleep with them, is because men define themselves as unfuckable. They are not... They are the fuckers, not the fuckies. Mm. Yeah. But if you never have that sense that someone would pursue you, the onus is on you to pursue. And if you have no inherent sense of your value then it's very difficult to be anything other than grasping when you seek sexual connection and you will always think it's a trick that you've managed to trick a woman into sleeping with you you've managed to talk a woman into sleeping with you you've managed to persuade a woman into sleeping with you i'm going to need to listen back to this podcast because that is really (laughs) useful to hear right now i that's a really interesting thought you had a third point though uh, uh, no, I think that was my third point. So go on with these uh, single men in your show. Well, no, I was because I was going to. There was there were other things that you said. I was like, okay, right, bullet point that, 
pin, pin and put a pin in that, put a pin in that. Because um, the, yeah, anger, I was going to say about anger, and I'm probably going to lose my train of thought for the it's other right. things as well. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about anger because the, so another thing that I learned from this amazing mental health speakers collective, but basically it's, it's better than going to college, just joining this kind of group, was that and this, I'm, I'm going to misquote this, but it's a general idea, general thing is, is, is correct. That um, there was a study done in schools um, recently um, where they asked groups of boys and groups of girls aged, I can't remember, maybe it was, it was two different ages throughout their like early formative years. Maybe the first time was six years old, maybe the second time was 10 years old, something like that. And the first time they asked uh, them, the question they asked is both the same. Uh, they ask them to identify feelings, emotions that they feel. And the girls, uh, aged six, the young, the younger age, um, could identify something like seven or eight emotions. The boys could only identify, was it two or three? One of which is anger, one of which is happiness, and one of which was something silly like hunger, which isn't really an emotion, that's a, that's a physical state. Mm. Um, and then when they had the older age the girls num uh, the number of um, emotions that the girls could identify had kind of it was something like doubled or it, they'd, they'd, le they'd learned an awful lot of uh, words that they could identify emotions with whereas the boys had kind of stayed the same or maybe added one more um, and the thing, the thing, the interesting thing there is that that's uh, men are allowed to feel anger, mm. and that's the one. That, but but then when they were asked, the same group of boys were asked to identify emotions that their that their mothers felt or their sisters felt, they could identify as many as the girls. So it wasn't just a matter of a sort of a biological lack of feeling. Yes, in the boys, it's not a sociopath. It's not that they can't identify those emotions. Mm. It's just they weren't allowed to identify them within themselves that's an interesting that's a really interesting question and so you're saying that this appears in your audiences or that yes. you're seeing what you believe well, to be I a manifestation believe, yes. of this in your audiences I'm that there are there is a, a problem in society that your work is providing some sort of solution to I mean I would I love that you're framing it like that <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean that, that yeah. people are drawn to you and particularly single men are drawn to your work because in part they feel like they don't have access to this language for dealing with yes I, I mean I, 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 I I'm questioning this at the moment this is something yeah. that I, we're, this is what we're talking about wrestling I don't have the answer but I do I do see a lot of single men when when it comes to the women who come to my shows they often come in, in pairs mm. uh, occasionally solos but it's the men come alone yeah, and other there are other men who come with their families, or uh, and that's and that's great. But there's there seems to be this trend of of single men, and those are the ones who come back again and again and again and again, um, as well as like the teen, teenage girls and uh, and women women in their twenties, their thirties. But they will come as a as a like a like a group, whereas the men tend to come solo. Well, I mean, this is a really <laughs> interesting point because we are at a time now where, like, so many things are happening at the same time. We still have a broad society in which gender inequality exists, yep. in which there are many women who are subject to ill treatment because they are women at the hands of men 
and other women who are reinforcing status quo in their own minds about the place of women. At the same time, we also have this massive movement towards female empowerment that denies men a place in that conversation. Really, that's a true thing. You see it consistently on the internet, and of course the internet is a display of extremes, but you see uh, a friend of mine, for example, put his hand up during the Me Too movement saying that he had received sexual harassment and was told to shut up because this wasn't his time to speak. It wasn't about him. And the question there was whether Me Too was about gender and in some ways reinforcing gender stereotypes or whether it was about the misuse of power. Yes, yeah. I feel like we're, we're, we're playing a dangerous game there. And we're also playing the dangerous game when it comes to r racial things, the ideas of white privilege, the fact that the dominant structures in society privilege narratives of whiteness. The problem there is not whiteness, in my mind. The problem there is power. Yes, I, I, I feel I come, I come at it. I, I feel the same. And that I, so I, I try to look for the similarities rather than the differences. And all I really care about, say for example, with the Me Too movement and your friend's story, would be the pain that that mm. person's experiencing. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what the gender is. It's like you say, it's the power. It's the who who has been mistreated here. Yes, and there's a particular edge to mistreatment if you know that you're being treated that way because of your gender. So sexual harassment is unpleasant, no matter who's on the receiving end. If you're a woman receiving it in the context of someone who thinks you deserve it because you're a woman, there's a particular edge to it that makes yes. it more unpleasant, that you're like, this is happening because of my class, because of my group, because of it's not even about me. And there's all the layers of, of all the years of societal... Um, like what, what society teaches us about we should expect this we should this is okay this is this this is all right we deserve it to a certain extent and so I'm not saying that there isn't a difference when a man is sexually harassed to when a woman is sexually harassed but that doesn't make the act itself unworthy of speaking about yes because and then that shuts him up it shuts, it him, shuts down. him up and it also takes the it, it, it takes the discussion into a discussion of class types, group types, demographic types, the way men behave versus the way women behave, rather than how people behave in power. Because men have been in power for a very long time in society and women have executed different kinds of power in lesser ways, those power structures privilege men. But it's not the manness of them that's the problem. Yes. You know what I mean? So I, I read a really interesting uh, thread by somebody who was talking about uh, talking as a person of colour to other people of colour about when people of colour get power in previously white-dominated institutions, that people of colour in positions of power should be careful about perpetuating white supremacy within those institutions. And for me, that was like a, a, really, a really sideways way to come at the problem which is that actually the problem isn't your whiteness or your coloredness it's power if you get into a position of power and perpetuate the problems of that position of power even if that position of power was traditionally a white dominant one then the power problem is power not the whiteness yep I feel so the, this is all something that I'm, I'm meditating on quite a lot and I use the word meditation very loosely um, because it's not really peaceful 
um, wrestling with um, is the dividing lines, the, the, the labels that we put on ourselves, these groups that we put ourselves in, these categories that we mm. divide ourselves up within. And the voices, therefore, from which we speak. So I am, I can safely identify as, I, I identify as female. I, I have no issue with that at all. I have some traits that people may perceive as being fairly masculine and some traits that people may perceive as being fairly feminine. I, have, I take issue with the feminine masculine trait thing anyway. I also am, I, don't, I think it's fairly undeniably white. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's perhaps too white because I'm from Cambridge, darling. Um, but again, who knows? I don't know my ancestry. I, I don't know. So, and then I feel you can fairly, uh, unarguably, I, I have blue eyes and brown hair, and and I'm British because of where I was born. But I, I could argue all of those labels and and challenge all those labels. But those are the safe labels, and then there are other labels beyond that that I that are much more redefinable. And I'm looking, I'm I'm thinking a lot about labels and how to define myself um, because I've had a lot of change this year um, and a lot of loss in my life. And I've often felt like the boundaries, the outlines of who I am, is very blurred. And I like to unite people. I like to find the similarities, not the differences between me and people who might have completely different, in inverted commas, experiences to me or or backgrounds to me. Um, like I'm from Cambridge, but I'm the so therefore I am I I have privilege. I'm I'm trying to be aware of my privilege. But I didn't go to the university, and I, I don't come from a family who is wealthy in that way. But then. It's, it, these labels are fascinating. Yeah, the labels are fascinating. I think where I come to have a problem with it is that for a long time these labels have been used to keep people down, to keep people separate, and now there's this movement to use those labels to reclaim power, to get power back. Yes. But to me, that whole idea of giving someone a taste of their own medicine... If you bring that down to a microcosm, to a person talking to a person, if you are having an argument with a friend and you don't like the tone of voice they're using with you, when has it been useful to do that voice back at them? Yes, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so maybe this is the wrong analogy. Maybe the, the small doesn't generalise out to the big in, in a way. But to me it feels like it does. If, if we are talking as people to other people and we're wanting change, then I think you need circuit breakers, not just doing to them as they did to you. It seems really, a lot of the movements nowadays seem to be quite biblical. Yes. Um, and I think... Fighting you know, fire with fire. Pre- yeah, fighting fire with fire means there's more fire. Yes, yeah. It's, yeah. It, pr- Things like like uh, privilege are useful things to know, useful things to be aware of, but they are also um, reinforcing something. Or there's also there's a lot of shame. There's it's shaming a group, and then shame doesn't actually mean that people necessarily change. It can keep them down. In well, it can belittle them. Well, so the the narrative of privilege, I think, is a really useful light. To, to shine Absolutely. on situations that people would take for granted, to be aware of things that you've taken for granted can only be a good thing. Yeah. But I think for many people, whiteness and privilege, in the way that I've seen them used, particularly online, 
is like original sin. It's analogous to original sin, that you are dirty or impure by virtue of having privilege. Yes. That you are unworthy of a place in the conversation because you couldn't possibly understand. So, uh, and, yes, sorry, And telling on. someone that they couldn't possibly understand is a very bad way to convince anyone of anything. No, absolutely. The um, What I was going to say was that what, what I... The perspective I come at it from is I don't feel at home in my body. I'm, I don't know if, if you're the same, but I've never felt like this body belongs to me. Mm. Um, and that has tortured me in some way, or I've tortured myself with that uh, from a very early age um, due to eating disorders and um, getting very, very big and then very, very thin and then very, very big again and then very, very thin again and just not feeling at home. And I'm, I'm, all, I'm hyper flexible, so my, my joints are all bendy and it's all a bit, it all doesn't feel, it feels like a flesh, flesh suit that I'm wearing and I just don't feel... I, I find it difficult to identify with and yet I know that if I'm going to change the world or have any power I need to c- reclaim this body I need to claim it and I need to be present within it but I'm always drifting apart from it in the way that I per- the way that I perceive the world so I always feel like I'm I'm floating about half a meter above my head um, that sounds so arty farty no I think I've I mean I've I've said this as a joke before that I feel like a floating brain in a bubble that you know my feminism was a reluctant response to the fact that I thought I was just a person exactly and then suddenly I'm bumping into walls and then I realize those walls only exist because I'm a woman or people are telling me that and then all of a sudden I'm a feminist and Exactly. So I, I just by virtue of saying no, 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 I'm a person. Treat me like a person. The, the what baffle what baffles me, and also maybe baffles me because maybe it's me who's wrong and everyone else is right. But I, I feel like it's it's been obvious to me for uh, many many years that I, I I've, I'm only borrowing this body, mm-hmm. and this is just a vehicle through which I can experience and influence the world. So the fact that this body that I'm currently in and existing within sometimes badly uh is stop reviewing yourself juliet carry on with the with the conversation um stay on target (laughs) uh, (laughs) it's it happens by circumstance to be a female body and i happen by circumstance to feel okay to identify with that female body i don't really want to be male um because i feel like i have power in that journey i I, the power that there is power to be found within being female that i'm quite comfortable within um, and there's, a, there's other parts of being female that I'm not comfort- I'm less comfortable within, but then I'm, I'm on the journey of becoming more comfortable, I hope. Um, the fact that I was born in Cambridge, that is circumstance. It, the fact that I was born into this particular family was circumstance. Uh, there's lots of things that I can change about who I am. And there's lots of things I can't change. And the same applies to everybody else that I meet. Every man that I meet just happens to be a man. But... Every, every person that I meet who has a physical disability just happens to have a physical disability. It's not, that isn't who they are. Who they are is this little ball of energy that's somewhere deep within, I'm staring at your boobs right now because it's, it's right. somewhere deep They're within your, they are amazing <laughs> boobs, but it's, you are this little ball of energy that has no gender and no skin color because you have no skin. It's the, it's, I don't know if you, this is a very weird conversation to be having, um, but you, you are, something amazing I'm writing that down you have no skin you have no skin um, 
you are this incredible thing that exists within yourself and beyond yourself and you only discover in your relationships with other people the fact that we're even humans to begin with let alone some other entity it it baffles confounds and amazes me that that it's not painfully obvious to other people so when i meet somebody who on the surface level might look at first glance completely different to me or have a completely different experience that that experience is going to enrich me because ultimately we are the same we're still a human yes i think that i mean that sounds as you say very ephemeral but i do think that there's something that's quite concrete in that which is uh, something we were talking about before you turned the microphones on about the process of now being single and defining yourself in relation to other people yes and being okay with that having people tell you that you shouldn't be okay with that, that you should define yourself in yourself and be comfortable with yourself before you go out into the world. Yeah. Um, so you see people who go travelling to find themselves. And, and I always think of that as quite an odd thing to do because if I am in the absence of any outside stimuli, I become amoebic. Yeah. I quite like working, I quite like engaging with people and, and I think the, the feeling that informs that is maybe a reality we are we have porous edges yes we we only ever define ourselves by relation to the people we see i think that's one of the problems in the world and why extreme inequality is felt so badly as a result of the internet because you're not looking at a hundred years ago where you would have been you're not comparing yourself to that you're not even comparing yourself to you 10 years ago and the power you have you're defining yourself by the things you can see within a very small circle of light the people you directly engage with, the people you see, and who you were yesterday, who you want to be tomorrow. That's a very small and moving circle. And it's hard to get perspective outside of that. So I think it is important to talk to people, to see how they are positioning you in relationship to them, and to gently question those hierarchies. So this is, this is the next show that I'm working on. It is, it's called Defined. Um, because I... I have been told by people, oh, I, I need to be on my own. I need to, I need to be single and find out who I am on my uh, alone and be comfortable with being alone. But I, I'm, I like finding out who I am in relation to other people. I, I and not necessarily romantically or, or only romantically, but I, I don't know who I am. Mm. And on a daily basis, I wake up and I feel like okay, who, who am I going to be today? I, I don't have to be who I was yesterday. I can redefine myself every single day. And the only way that I'm going to have any influence over that is by bumping into other people, bumping into other edges. To I, I wake up this amorphous kind of mess of a cloud, an amorphous cloud of, of something that isn't defined. And I want to meet you and have this amazing conversation and then go okay well this is who I am in relation to Alice and then I'm going to go chat to the the bar staff over there and I'm I'm going to be friendly and I'm going to have a nice conversation with them and if they're com they're friendly back to me then maybe I'm defined as friendly today in that one conversation uh, I might message uh, my friend and be thoughtful you know and I think that's one of the reasons why no matter how much confidence we may have as people when somebody puts a definition on us that doesn't feel like it fits it's upsetting. Yes, yeah. Because it means that somehow we're not playing it right. Yes. And now I'm seeing links with all the conversations I'm having with uh, my LGBT and, and non-binary friends and 
because again, those aren't that's not my story. That's not a label that I I struggle with, but I do struggle with. For example, I struggle with the label of oh, this is is it comedy? Is it theatre? Mm. Which I think you you've had a similar thing where have, it's yeah. like, well, why do I have to choose? Yeah. Why do I? Why can't I be both? Yeah. Like I, I don't want to put that label on me. You 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 can define it as you want to. You can tick a box about me if you like. But I I'm very comfortable being just something in between where it it, it can be amorphous. That's not something I need to define. Yeah, except for the blurb for Edinburgh. <laughs> yes. Where yes. you suddenly realise that you have to say who you're like and what you're like and what it is that you do yeah. in a way that people reading a 100-word blurb will find appealing and without then, giving away the show that you haven't yet written. Exactly. And then also it's, it's that the expectations that people are coming into your show with is if they're coming in thinking it's going to be a club comedy, for me, they're going to get disappointed because mm. it's not club comedy. It's not going to be... Um, bawdy it's going to have emotion and it's going to have a narrative and I want you to laugh but if you're coming in expecting it to be a theatre darling then you're going to be disappointed as well but then I think then maybe this kind of goes back to maybe this is again me wrapping things up too neatly no no I love it maybe it goes back to the central problem and the central point of all of the the theme that's been running through this conversation which is the more there are outliers the more people go and see something not knowing what to expect and are surprised and delighted by it or go into something knowing what to expect and have that expectation confounded, the more people walk away from your show or my show wrestling with things, questioning things, reframing things, the less those frames will be restrictive because you'll realise the boundaries of those frames can change. Yes. And that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. That's that's what I, I always like to start writing a show thinking what I want people to feel leaving the theatre. And I say theatre. Um, I like I like I want people to leave feeling like today is the first day of the rest of their lives and that they have a new perspective on the world um, because that's what comedy and theatre can do. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you so much for letting me have wine. <laughs> Mistress we have got 
helps the dog's son, it is her name. And she helps the dog beside every frame. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you doffers, cry up your hands. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Loudy rifle doll, loudy rifle day.